All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Joy to open up God's word with you. Always an honor to be able to do so. Last time I was up here was not my proudest moment. I showed up half an hour late for a preaching engagement, a big no-no that they tell us in seminary. And uh, this time around, Mark asked me to preach on a Sunday of daylight savings. I feel like it was a test. The last time Mark covered for me by praying an extra long pastoral prayer. Ted, were you prepared to pray for an hour this time? Uh, Which would have been great. Uh, Well, as Ted mentioned, uh, we are being sent off by Hillside Church to do a church plant. And uh, many of you were actually at Hillside Church for the anniversary celebration. So it was a joy to host you. Uh, I brought some of our church plant friends here. You guys want to just wave at everyone else? They're right in that row there, a few in the back there. Yeah, so we're going to uh, be sent off. Uh, We're going to plant this church in September. The the name of the church is City Light Bible Church. Just thought it'd be a good chance to meet uh, some of the people who are going to be a part of the core team. And in terms of planning, we are uh, full steam ahead. We have a core team of about 50 people. Our website is is public. We have uh, five elders that we've been blessed with, a leadership team that's certainly going to be very healthy with uh, the start of the church. And uh, we're starting a training seminar tonight uh, to talk about discipleship, evangelism, and leadership to equip the people on the core team. So uh, we we very much have been blessed of the Lord, looking forward to all of this. And I just got to say that this church has been so supportive Uh, So helpful, so encouraging in in all the interactions that uh, I've had with you. Uh, Thank you for all of that support. Thank you for all of the encouraging remarks and uh, emails that you've sent. Uh, There's been a whole bunch of churches that have been very supportive, and and everyone's been very excited for City Light Bible Church, but there's a, a handful of churches that really have gone above and beyond to encourage us, and you're one of them. And there have been a very, there's been a very short list of pastors who have uh, gone above and beyond to support, to encourage, and Mark is on that list. And so uh, being here is, is very special and uh, so thankful for all of you. Uh, please pray for us. I know you have been. Please continue to. Uh, we, we would be so excited that you would partner with us in that way. Well, please turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to look at the first four verses of this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 5. In the previous weeks, you guys have been talking through church leadership. You've been talking through gospel leadership in Titus and Timothy. You've heard what the Apostle Paul has had to say about spiritual leadership. And today, I want to allow the Apostle Peter to speak as well. Uh, We're going to add Peter's voice to the mix on what he has to say about spiritual leadership. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I hope that you notice the emphasis on shepherding in this passage. Verse 2, shepherd the flock. Verse 3, be examples to the flock. And then verse 4 mentions the chief shepherd. The imagery of the shepherd is all over this passage. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who visited a group of actual shepherds, you know, shepherds of sheep in Australia. And this seminary professor came back with some great stories. He talked about how these shepherds would uh, take care of these sheep and how the sheep would not drink from the watering hole unless you brought them to within 10 feet. They could be 15 feet away. They could see where the water was, but unless you actually guided them within 10 feet, they wouldn't actually drink. Now, the shepherds talked about how uh, sheep had to be absolutely free of fear in order to lay down and rest and actually fall asleep. And if they were dozing off together, but they heard the snapping of a twig, it would wake them up jolt them, and one of them would take off running, and then when one of them would take off running, a whole bunch of them would follow. In this area of Australia, there were these blackberry bushes, thorny bushes, and sometimes the sheep with their wool would actually get stuck in a blackberry bush, and the thing is, when the sheep was stuck, they didn't want to be rescued. They thought they could do it on their own, and so the shepherd would come and try to help them, but the sheep would just kick them away, kick that shepherd Get away. I could take care of it myself. And finally, when the shepherd was able to free that sheep, the sheep would take off, oftentimes, to get stuck in another blackberry bush. Now, sometimes, uh, maybe more of the fatter sheep would fall over, and they would be unable to get up on their own. And if the shepherd didn't find them for several hours, what would happen is the internal organs of the sheep would, would shift over to one side after laying down on its side for so long. And so you couldn't just pick up the sheep because it would whoop, fall back over again. So what the shepherd had to do was to actually pull the sheep up and then sit on it. Like I kind of ride it for a little while just to keep the sheep still and to allow the internal organs to shift back over to where they're supposed to be in the middle. And then after sitting on the sheep for a while, he would then... Uh, walk with the sheep in between his legs to make sure that the sheep could walk on its own. Then he would get off the sheep and walk alongside it to make sure that it could walk on its own. And then he would run with it to see if it could run at full speed. And that's when you knew the sheep was fully restored. And so this imagery of shepherding is given in this passage to illustrate what it means to be an elder of the church. This is the work of an elder to lead sheep to a place where they can be nourished spiritually, to protect them from harm, and to pick them up when they fall and restore them to a point where they're running hard after Christ. 
This is the work of an elder. You see, uh, elders are not an advisory board to the pastor. They're not policy makers. They're not financial officers. They are the ones who are rolling up their sleeves to do the work of caring for souls. Now, you probably notice that this passage is not directed toward the church. It's not directed toward the congregation. It's not directed toward the members. It's directed toward elders. And so, what does this passage have to do with all of you? Well, let me give you some reasons. Four reasons this is applicable for you. Why you shouldn't just zone out for the next 40 minutes or so. First... This passage contains principles that are applicable to every kind of spiritual leadership. And so if you aspire to be any kind of spiritual leader in the church, a deacon, a ministry team leader, a small group leader, a children's leader, there are principles here for you. This is who you should be aspiring to be. Now, this passage speaks of caring for souls overseeing their spiritual well-being, being examples to them, uh, leaders' accountability before God. And these are all principles that are applicable to any aspect of spiritual leadership. And so if you are a leader, or if you are aspiring to be a leader, this passage is for you. The second reason this passage is for non-elders is that it teaches us what to look for in our elders. It helps you identify what is a biblical elder. Can you spot a good elder? Can you spot a leader that is worth following their example? Can you spot a pastor who leads in a domineering way? Can you spot a pastor who's in it for the money? And can you find a humble, loving leader who's doing his work out of joy. If you ever had to move out of this area and find a new church, I hope you know that at the very top of the list and what to look for in a church is what is the leadership like? Because the direction the leaders go is the direction of the church. And so can you, can you identify, do you have that discernment to find biblical elders Would you be able to identify a church with a healthy leadership? And would you be able to identify a church with toxic leadership? So that you can pray for them and run from them. So as a sheep, this passage will sharpen your discernment in what a spiritual leader is. A third reason this passage about elders is for non-elders is because it will help you support your leaders better. Uh, Peter is very much pulling the curtain back so that you can see the interworkings of church leadership. And you're going to learn things about eldership, specific things that will help you support the elders better. If you're equipped with this insider knowledge about pastoral ministry, uh, something that not everyone thinks about, in fact, most church members don't think about, then you'll know better how to specifically encourage your leaders, pray for them, and hold them accountable. And as you know, no leader is perfect. And so if you know the standard that God calls his leaders to, then 
When your leader needs a reminder, when he needs encouragement, when he needs accountability, you as a member will be able to give it. Uh, I know that as an elder, as a leader, I am nowhere near perfect, that I have a long, long way to go. And I've studied passages on eldership, but a lot of times I forget how this plays out in my life. And I love it. I treasure it. Every time someone comes up to me and helps me, reminds me, encourages me, even instructs me on what God has called me to as a spiritual leader. And I hope that you'll do the same for the leaders here. A fourth reason this passage is important for all of us today is because I hope that there are some men in the room today who have the godly aspiration to be an elder. Uh, To this form of spiritual leadership that God has designed for his church. And I hope that there are, are those of you here who maybe will never be an elder, but will come around and support the aspiring elders as well. Now, perhaps there are some of you here who are aspiring to full-time ministry, and you're thinking through seminary, and you want to be a pastor. You want to do ministry full-time, and that's great. And some of you might uh, aspire to lay ministry as well. Uh, maybe you will be a physician like Ted, and also an elder of the church, and that's great as well. And I hope that you'll learn that this is a a godly aspiration. This is a good thing. And this passage certainly speaks directly to you. So let's look at this passage about elders, but for everyone in the church. We're going to see, first of all, the responsibility of shepherding. Then we're going to look at the reasons for shepherding. And we're going to finally conclude with the reward for shepherding. The responsibility, the reasons, and the reward. First, let's look at the responsibility of shepherding. Verses 1 and 2. We'll end in the middle of verse 2 for this first point. Peter begins, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Uh, The actual responsibility of elders comes in verse 2, but before Peter gives it, he talks about the seriousness involved in this responsibility. Uh, First of all, he says, I'm talking to you elders as a fellow elder. Verse 1, elders are called elders because they're old. Spiritually, and a lot of times somewhat old in age as well. But the the main criteria here is that they are mature spiritually, that they've walked with the Lord for some time, that they've been pursuing him hard, that they've not only been sitting in the boat for a long time, but they've been pulling the oars hard for a long time. Why is this important? End of verse 3. Because they're called to be examples To the flock, they're a model of Christian maturity held up to the rest of the congregation and able to say, though not perfectly, follow me as I follow Christ. But what we see here is that Peter, as an elder, now addresses elders of the church. So elders need eldering. Shepherds need eldering. Shepherding 
teachers need teaching. Now, Peter also adds the seriousness of this responsibility with the phrase as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Peter says, hey, I, I was there. I saw the sufferings of Christ. I was with him for three years. I saw the persecution from the Pharisees ramp up. I saw him hanging on the cross. They crucified him. He died for me and for you. He died for the church. Purchased her with his precious blood. And you elders are called to oversee this precious church. And then he says that he's a partaker in the coming glory. Jesus, this one who died for us, is coming back. And he's going to bring us to heaven so that we share in his glory. So he's building this camaraderie with his fellow elders. And we're both called to this task of shepherding the church. We're both called to oversee the precious bride of Christ. And we're all on our way to heaven. So in the time we have remaining, let's shepherd the flock. That's their responsibility. Verse 2. We have the responsibility spelled out for us. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now stop right there. That is the responsibility of the elder. Now notice Peter doesn't say shepherd your flock. Or shepherd your sheep. He could have said that and they would have known what he was talking about. But instead he uses this language that purposefully puts it out there to remind these elders that These sheep are not yours. This is not your flock, ultimately. Did you notice how clunky and awkward the phrase is? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Just just kind of a clunky way of saying it. But Peter wants to make it absolutely clear. He wants to highlight, underscore that these people are not ultimately your people. They're gods. Jesus purchased them with his own blood. And so... What shepherds have to understand is that their spiritual leadership is a ministry that is delegated to them. It is a stewardship. As we see in verse 4, there is a chief shepherd. If you were to look back in chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the church was ransomed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of of Christ. The church is blood bought. The church was purchased with the blood of the Son of God. And so this is a this is a serious calling that elders have been called to. This is a serious stewardship. You don't, you don't mess around in spiritual leadership. This is a great great responsibility where where Jesus takes the people that he bought with his own blood and places them into the hands of elders and says, will you care for them? Will you shepherd them as I shepherd them? Hopefully when you borrow someone's stuff, you take care of it. In fact, you put a little bit of extra care. If, uh, If your boss loans you his car 
and says, yeah, yeah, you can use it for the week, but uh, just, just make sure to return it. You're going to take care of that thing. Uh, you're, you're not going to you're not going to crash it. You're going you're gonna to go 65 on the freeway. Uh, you're going to make sure before you return it, you pick up all the trash out of there. You're going to treat it as precious. And infinitely more if God hands you not a car, but souls and says, take care of them. Of course, you're going to do that with all faithfulness. And you're going to see just the seriousness of this responsibility. And so Peter says to shepherd these people, guide them, protect them, feed them, love them. But here, Peter really summarizes the work of the shepherd with this concept of oversight. He qualifies this responsibility to shepherd the flock of God that is among you with the phrase exercising oversight. This means to watch over, to assess people's spiritual condition. And elders are to do this both on an individual basis and on a corporate basis. Individually, elders are called to know how people individually are doing spiritually. This person over here, struggling with a trial. This person over here, battling a crippling sin. This person over here, has to make a major life decision. This person over here, thriving, flourishing spiritually, has potential for leadership. Elders are called to know each and every individual member of the church. But an elder also is to exercise oversight corporately. Big picture. This pocket of people over here, they're kind of clicky. They're not really fellowshipping with other people. This pocket of people over here hasn't been using their spiritual gifts. They're, they're just kind of pew warmers. They, they think that they've been saved to sit, not saved to serve. And this pocket of people over here, well, they just haven't been attending. Where have they been? I think they're slipping through the cracks. And so uh, elders are also called to not only minister to people individually, but to climb the mountaintop and to look out on the congregation as a whole and say, how can we grow as a church? What can we do to shepherd these people better? Uh, every, every sports team needs a coaching staff. You've got the head coach, but you also have assistant coaches. And yeah, the team might have a lot of talent. Uh, the, the individual members might know what they're doing individually, but someone's got to coordinate them. Someone has to have oversight and the elders are something of coaches for the team to, to, to coordinate everyone, to strategize, to win the game for Christ. So elders shepherd with oversight, but that's not enough. That's, that's just the work. That's just the responsibility. That's just the outside. That's just external. God cares more about the heart. And that's what we see in the second part of verse 2 and verse 3, God cares that elders shepherd for the right reasons. Let's look at, secondly, the reasons for shepherding. Now, Peter here gives us three pairs, three pairs of contrasts. And in doing so, he gives three common pitfalls of leadership. 
and then three correctives. So the first one we see in verse 2 is that shepherds are to shepherd, not under compulsion, but willingly. So this is not forced shepherd. Well, well, why would the elders here feel like they were forced to shepherd? Well, the context of 1 Peter is persecution. You can actually read the passage that comes right before this, verses 12 to 19 of chapter 4, and read about how the church is to expect persecution, how they're to expect the fiery darts of persecution. And so the elders of all people in the church had targets on their back. And some of these elders might have been thinking, that's just not that fun. That the persecution is coming to the church and it's aimed toward us as leaders. And so they have been, uh, they might have been trying to get out of the kitchen because it was too hot. And people might have been encouraging them, even dragging them back in to the kitchen, even though it was hot. And they were serving out of compulsion, not willingly. So, yeah, these men were serving. But they were saying, well, someone's got to do it. And Peter says, don't, don't let it come to that. Uh, don't be this stubborn mule that someone has to drag to do something. Don't make other people push you to do this work of an elder. Instead, shepherd willingly, voluntarily, out of your own desire. 1 Timothy 3.1, which you have gone over. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. At times, the work of an elder is discouraging. There are difficulties. You bear the burdens of the church. You see a lot of sin in the church. And at the same time, the work of an elder is joyful. Uh, you get to see people come to salvation. You get to see people sanctified, weed out sins from their lives that they struggled with for years. You get to see people befriend each other, grow in their relationship with each other, and push each other toward love and good deeds. And so, uh, as an elder, the highs are high, but the lows are low. And, and you get the whole package. And some elders will look at that whole package with the high highs and the low lows and say, all right, I'll do it, but only because I have to. And this is not the calling. This is not what Peter says should be the motivation just because you have to. This is not just a job to do, not just a, a bare minimum kind of thing, but this is something that you would hope your elders would thrive in, that they would go above and beyond because they love to do it. Well, the second contrast we see here, elders are to shepherd, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The motivation for shepherding is not money, here called shameful gain. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you can't uh, compensate Elders to do ministry full-time, that's actually in the Bible, 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the, labor, the laborer deserves his wages. Elders, especially the ones who work hard at preaching and teaching, are worthy of double honor, and here it says that you can 
remunerate them. You can pay them. The illustration given is the ox that treads on the threshing floor. And so what would go on at this time is that you would put a stalk of wheat on the ground or a whole bunch of stalks of wheat on the ground. And really what you wanted was the grain inside. So what you would have is an ox that would just stomp all over these stalks so that the grain would fall out. Then you could just pick up the grain. Well, what the, the cheapskate farmers would do is muzzle the ox, uh, put a muzzle over his mouth so that when he bent down and said, hmm, I'd like a little bite of that grain as well, he wouldn't be able to eat it. But what it says here is don't muzzle the ox. If he's going to do the work for you of, of pounding out all the grain, then give him a bite. And if you give him a bite, he's going to have energy to keep on working and keep on working well. And so there are paid pastors and there are lay elders, and I know you have both of them here, uh, really to, to pay a pastor, to, to give him an income, is more freeing him up to do the work that God has called him to do. And that's why First uh, Timothy calls us to pay elders that work hard at preaching and teaching, this primary work of the elder. And so if, if a church wants to be well-fed, nourished spiritually, then you can free up elders to study hard, to organize their messages, and to deliver it in a clear and powerful way so that you are best fed. But can't be the motivation. Money can't be the driving force. It's got to be the care for souls. It's got to be the shepherding of the sheep. That's what drives a man to be an elder. To do it for the money is called shameful here. Now, you shouldn't have to use money to get elders to elder, to get shepherds to shepherd. They should do it eagerly on their own initiative because they love the Lord and because they love his people. Spurgeon says of the shepherd, he is full of tenderness and manifests an intense love for the souls of men. He was born on purpose to care for other people and his heart cannot rest until it is full of such care. That's the kind of elder that you want. The one that was born to shepherd. It's his heart's cry to care for others. And then the third contrast in verse 3, not domineering, but being examples. I always wondered why those two were paired together in verse 3. Didn't really see the connection until I realized that what you have in verse 3 is two effective ways to lead. It is effective to be domineering, to lead people by making them fear you. It is effective to lead with an iron fist and to force people with your heavy hand to do stuff. You get stuff done that way. But it's not good. It's not spiritual. It's not holy. And it's not what elders are called to here. Instead, elders are called to another effective form of leadership and one that is even more effective 
and that is leadership by example. Uh, we just saw one pitfall to avoid, and that is shepherding for a monetary boost. Uh, this pitfall here is shepherding for an ego boost. Don't do it for the money, but also don't do it for the power. As an elder, there is certainly the opportunity to throw your power around, and uh, elders have the microphone. Elders are up front, and elders can literally have a bully pulpit. They can twist scripture to fulfill their own agenda instead of God's. Hey, I'm older. I'm smarter. I'm a theologian. I went to seminary, so you got to do what I say. But that's not how you treat little lambs. And I, I'm fresh off of going to Shepherd's Conference, and I had a lot of encouraging, uplifting conversations. Uh, just friends that I have that are doing it right. Uh, they're living out First Peter 5. But at the same time, I had multiple conversations. And over the past year, I've had way more conversations than I would like to have had about domineering shepherds. It's tempting. Being given authority, being given power corrupts. And they're out there. Shepherds who will domineer with a heavy hand. Shepherds who will go beyond the line of scripture and say, well, I'm the elder, so I have authority, which is true. But they don't understand that that authority ends where the Bible ends. And so they'll go beyond that and say, just because I have this title, you got to do what I say. And, and it's just so sad. So sad. And commanded against directly here. I understand that domineering leaders aren't necessarily super loud and mean. They can also be smooth. Uh, they can have a silver tongue. They can be very convincing. So beware of the domineering leader. Uh, beware of the guy who just has a lust for power, a lust for controlling people. Uh, from the pulpit, uh, in one-on-one -on -one conversations, in counseling. Look for the humble leader. Look for the leader that's willing to submit to God's word. Look for the leader who's willing to be corrected by God's word when they're shown that they're out of line. Leaders who, as verse 3 says, lead by example. Now here's the contrast. Instead of just controlling people, telling them what to do, the main tool a shepherd has to see change in his church is to be good examples. Hebrews 13, 7 commands the church to remember those who led you and consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Shepherds should have a faith worth imitating. You should be able to follow in their example. And a word for you spiritual leaders out there this is going to be the most powerful, most effective tool that you have in your leadership bag. Your example. If you want to see how the people in your small group or the people that you lead are going to turn out, look in the mirror. For better or for worse. And that puts it on us as leaders to be good examples, not negative ones. Uh, they uh, tell us in seminary that the loudest sermon you'll ever preach 
is your own walk with God. And I found that to be so true. And for you teachers out there, this may hurt a little, but uh, people won't remember a ton of your lessons. They might remember one, two, maybe three, the best ones that you ever gave, and it's humbling to me. People aren't going to remember a lot of my sermons, maybe one or two, but you know what they will remember? They'll remember you. They'll remember you. How you talk to other people. How you treated your family. Your worldview. What you did when you sinned. How you prayed. How you cared for them and the people around you. That's what they'll remember. That's what will be effective. And that's why Peter calls leaders to lead by example. The Christian life is more caught than taught. And if you, even if you think about what kind of person you are today, what kind of Christian you are today, it's more because of the people that led you, learning from their example, than what they taught you. Well, we've seen the responsibility of shepherding, the reasons for shepherding. Now let's look at the reward for shepherding in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Once again, we're reminded that all shepherds are under shepherds. There's one chief shepherd over us all. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so, yes, we're called to be shepherds. But the flock that we shepherd belongs to an over-shepherd, here called a chief shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ appears for the second time, he will come with reward. A special, specific reward for shepherds. Uh, this crown that is the reward spoke of this reward that athletes would be given after their race or after their sporting event. Think of Olympics, right? The Olympics. Uh, sometimes they have, well, they always have a medal, but sometimes they even have a garland on their head. But the thing is, uh, that garland made out of leaves and flowers is going to rot and eventually die. But here we have what's called the unfading crown of glory. This reward, this crown, will last forever. So, to you leaders out there, what are you doing today that's going to echo in eternity? What are you doing today that's going to make a difference 10,000 years from now. And if you're doing that, praise God. Not only are you doing his work and furthering his kingdom, but you will receive a special, specific crown that awaits those who faithfully shepherd his flock. I think a lot of people look at spiritual leadership and maybe dip their toe in it, 
try it out for a year or two, and then they need a break. And that break ends up being indefinite, and they don't really want to go back into any kind of leadership because leadership is hard. You're shepherding sheep, and uh, sometimes the sheep will kick you away. You're just trying to free him from the blackberry bush. Sometimes you'll help the sheep up, but they'll fall back down again. And there are sheep that will bite. Now, there are people in the church that will be difficult to deal with, that will not listen to your counsel, that will talk behind your back, will talk to your face, tell you're doing a bad job, and some sheep that will absolutely crush your soul. But if that's what causes you to quit, it's because you lost sight of what God has called you to. This extraordinarily great privilege of being handed the stewardship of souls that Jesus purchased with his own blood. Uh, This honor of being able to shepherd like the good shepherd cares for souls. And you've lost sight of the reward. You're not living for today. You're not living for tomorrow. You're not living for your deathbed. You're not living for people to say you're doing a good job. You're living for the heavenly reward. You're living and serving and doing the work of a shepherd with the accountability of the good shepherd himself, the chief shepherd. You want to hear from him that you're doing a faithful job. Luke 14 says, What's done in secret will be rewarded by our Father. And so it's a pretty awesome image, right? Shepherds, uh, many of whom I talked to at Shepherds Conference this past week, standing before Jesus in heaven at the end of their life. And maybe their ministry didn't turn out the way they thought it would. Maybe it was much, much harder. And so they're beat up, they're bruised, they got sheep bites all over them. But the chief shepherd places a crown on their head and says, well done. Good and faithful servant, good and faithful shepherd. Thank you for shepherding as I would. That is the reward of shepherding. Uh, You as LBC SJ are tremendously blessed. Uh, You have elders here. Some churches don't even have elders. But you have elders that understand this passage. And you have elders who want you to understand this passage so that you can support them better. And so that the relationship between shepherd and sheep can thrive. Uh, I've had multiple conversations with Mark. Uh, We always hang out at Valley Fair and uh, hit up all the different kinds of desserts that they have to offer there. It's our goal to try them all. And he loves you guys cares for you so much, wants to guide you and shepherd you in a biblical way, and just a reason to praise God for that. But we're not here to praise Mark or uh, any elders, really. Uh, We're here on a Sunday morning to praise Jesus, the chief shepherd that this passage ends on. No one's perfect, including elders, But we can look to and praise the perfect shepherd this morning, 
The shepherd spoken of back in chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, which says that this chief shepherd himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the gospel. The good shepherd lays his life down, puts his body on a cross. The great overseer of our souls dies upon a tree, purchases our souls, washes our souls, secures our souls to bring our souls to heaven with him after this life. And here is not only our savior, but also our perfect example. You want to learn about leadership? You want to learn about shepherding? Look to Christ. Don't take your eyes off of him and follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus Christ, your son. The one whom you love so much and yet the one that you willingly gave up for us all because of how much you love us. And I pray that we would look to his example as we strive toward leadership, uh, that we would not lead in a worldly way, and that we would not lead in a a domineering way, a forced way, uh, but instead that we would lead with joy, lead with compassion, lead in truth as our Savior did. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.